That's the first time we had a guest sit through the entire episode from opening to closing. So, hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week, we will discuss our lives, our goals, and our expectations as artists, as well as discuss what it is to be an artist. Performers, visual artists, and musicians. Mike and I, we want to talk to you, and we want to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art really means to you. We'll have guests to discuss artistic expression and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. And try to answer that question. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and join us in the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Active Listeners Podcast with Mike and Shane. Tonight, we are going to do something a little different, a little a little special, and we are going to talk about the nerdiest of nerddoms, D&D. And to do that, we brought on my roommate, our best friend, Nicholas Walge. Yes, Nicholas Walge of the Virginia Walges. Hi! <laughs> we are we are going to have a little discussion with Nick about D&D specifically because right now playership uh in all tabletops but especially D&D D&D is through the roof because we're all home and all we can do is talk to each other through electronic boxes or in our pods of people that we see regularly. And if we're going to do that, we might as well be playing a game at the same time. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, with, without any more of the explanation, because that's not the fun part, we're going we're gonna to turn it over to Nick. Nick, thanks for, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I, I, I talk about D&D all the time, so you might as well put a microphone in front of my face. Yeah, and Nick, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself your pronouns, and something fun. Uh, Sure. My name's uh, Nick Walsh. That's he, him. And, man, I've been... God, I've been playing this silly game since, like, I was... I want to say 12. I think think my first uh, sort of experience with it was uh, my cousins got for Christmas the uh, third edition... Uh, starter so dating yourself, and it was, and th- that was it, man. I've been a DM ever since. My cousin did the the first one, and I was like, ah, I got this, <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It's I've spent so much time building worlds and tearing down worlds and uh, taking my friends through them. So you know, out of context, tearing down worlds can just be an awful thing. I mean, that's um, the name of this uh, episode now. I agreed to have it's all happening. my words used specifically in context. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I, I believe I, I decided... No, to- it's okay. We edit these. We can just cut that out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> so, real quick, the, we'll do the boring stuff. So, you have a background in creative writing. That's that's yeah, correct? so boring. Ugh. My, my bachelor's degree is professional writing. It's a Bachelor of Sciences in Professional Writing from Champlain College up in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, I've always been a writer, and I've, you know, written all kinds of things professionally from blogging materials, advertising materials. I've worked for a marketing firm. Uh, I've worked with uh, folks putting together business plans for micro lending. Um, I wrote a screenplay, uh, well, several screenplays, but I was paid to write one of them. 
so yeah, yeah, uh, I've always enjoyed telling stories, and for whatever reason, this hobby seemed to be my primary outlet for doing that uh, for years. You also wrote a one-act play for me a while back. Uh, that's true. Uh, that is, I think, the only play that I've written. So is it, we got a, we've got a bit of a bard on our hands. Can do a little bit of everything. <laughs> I, I am currently playing a bard in one of my campaigns, yes. See? See, he knows. So I know that you definitely got me into D&D, which was, I don't know, what, six, seven years ago, five years ago, something like that? Time. Uh, it depends on whether we're talking about, like, tabletop RPGs or D&D specifically, right? Um, because your first campaign was actually with Mike as well, uh, as far as I know, and that was our Edge of the Empire campaign for the Star Wars Fantasy Flight system. Which isn't D&D, but is an RPG role-playing game. And I don't, I don't know if a lot of our audience will actually know the difference. I imagine a lot of our viewers are going to think all tabletop games are D&D. Do you want to dive into some of the nuance and differences about those? Sure. D&D is the... They even describe, uh, describe themselves on, the, on their, all of their hardcovers. It says a blank, blank, blank for the world's greatest role-playing game. Uh, they certainly hype, you know, hype up the market share they have on tabletop role-playing games, but there is an enormous amount of tabletop role-playing games out there. When we talk about a tabletop role-playing game, uh, we generally mean a game that is mutual storytelling uh, around a table with pen and paper. Frequently they have some sort of like randomizer element, Dungeons & Dragons has an array of dice, the 20-sided die being the one that is sort of associated with it. And if you don't know what a d20 looks like, we just live in very different worlds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll throw all the, all the must-know material into the show notes for everybody. We'll throw a link specifically of dice sets so people can start exploring. Let's be fair yeah, and like, real, though, down in the description. I mean, if... If we still have listeners right now, it's because they like and know what a D20 is. So, <laughs> Or are willing to learn and are excited that, because that. it's been expanding so much. I mean, over the past three or four years, I feel like D&D has taken on this whole new role in society. And it's no longer just about this nerddom of, you know, people in a basement around a table although that's kind of what it is that's not all it is we play in my dining room yeah but, we definitely uh, played in your basement <laughs> before that happened yeah we grew up <laughs> uh <laughs> um i think i mean i think even as uh, a lifelong fan of uh role-playing games this past year has completely overhauled the amount of time given to this hobby because yeah we are trapped uh and suddenly it became you know, the the biggest struggle about D&D used to just be scheduling. Used to be able to find five people that could commit to getting together one freaking time a month to, to tell a story. And now, with, uh, with the pandemic and the ability to play digitally, you know, I'm in three games a week someday, or some weeks. Uh, I, think, I think I actually did four games in one week. Uh, when we did a one shot over Christmas, that uh, that went really well. I thought I just you know no notes. 
Yeah, yeah, no notes because he he got that total party kill. That's why. <laughs> That's what I wanted for Christmas, and I I made sure to. Get You're it. welcome. It's my it's my treat for myself. <laughs> cool. So so you're gonna walk us through a little something, some part of some of the process. I mean, at this point, I'm down for anything. Sure. And I guess we'll what we'll do is uh, kind of just parse out the, the intricacies without getting too into the weeds, and kind of give our listeners a little tasty taste. Uh, so yeah, I figured the uh, the thing that. You know, I could probably speak on, I mean, I can only speak on my own experience, right? And uh, I've been DMing for a long time. I've also played at a lot of other people's uh, table. And my, my my favorite thing to do, and I think the favorite thing of a lot of uh, Dungeon Masters is to do, is to create a campaign. And what, I, what I've generally found is that, you know, sort of, crowdsourcing all of that creative work and sort of not being so much the content generator for your own campaign world with you know going through and creating your own economic systems and trade routes and all that thing there's so much of that stuff out there already right that i just kind of advocate go with what's written and you know Use that to fit the kind of stories that you want to tell. Uh, because at the end of the day, D&D is a, a collaborative game, right? And I feel like so many DMs, they they want it to be their own story, right? And they're a part of that storytelling process, but they shouldn't kind of try to shoehorn players uh, into a world that they don't have the context on, and uh, in in some cases, you know, there there are a lot of inconsistencies. And world building is hard. And when you pull from published material, what you're doing is making sure you have the creative work of twelve writers, you know, three hundred play testers, and you know that system is at least. It is going to be just based on sheer numbers more sound uh, than the amount of prep that you as an individual can put forth in a in a single campaign. Helps helps retain the immersion is is something that I think yeah, there is a lot that, to be said that, about uh, that. Right. You know you don't because you're gonna have your you're gonna have a varied type of player. You're gonna have a player that's been playing for twenty years, and you're gonna have players that are just rolled their first character. So yeah, it's it's important if you can keep it keep it simple. That doesn't mean, you know, you don't you can't have those intricate complex aspects of your world, but also, you know, you you don't want to trip yourself up in trying to tell your story. I I think that's exactly right. And I don't want to, you know, if someone is by day an economist, you know, uh, like I said, it is a collaborative storytelling. So everyone has to have fun. And if a DM's idea of fun is to sort of plot those things out, uh, and that's what they're good at, then awesome. You can definitely build mechanics and systems in order to, you know, lay that over whatever game world that uh, or game system uh, that you've sort of chosen to play. But to try to create one out of whole cloth every time, every time you want to get a game going, 
it, it seems to me like an easy way to overwhelm yourself. And when you spend time on the D&D subreddits and you watch people talk about, you know, games that have gone wrong, well, maybe you overshot or uh, maybe your players weren't as engaged in the game world, thought they might be, um, oh man, kill your babies. Just <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. No sacred cows. That's my favorite one. You know, I definitely don't want to discredit the amount of work that has to go into a DM session, even when you are pulling material that has already been printed. Having only attempted to DM once, it was a very humbling experience to recognize that I had this whole world, this whole book in front of me, and yet I still spent hours and hours and hours just driving myself insane, trying to wrap my head around what was happening and what story my players might be interested in. I didn't even finish that campaign. I got so overwhelmed, I just, I kind of gave up and I gave it to Nick. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to running that campaign. Uh, <laughs> I think I think once you start thinking about planning a session uh, and then scooting back and then start from a you know further focal point uh, planning a campaign, you start to build two things. You start to build your ceiling, right? Uh, and you start to build the scaffolding towards that ceiling. That ceiling can go as high as you want. You know, if you have in your mind that you are going to have plastic dungeon tiles and, you know, every dungeon uh, meticulously detailed and painted, you can do that. There is more than enough uh, plastic product out there to be able to do whatever kind of, you know, visual stand-in for your world uh, that you want. That also translates into a digital uh, play space. Uh, you can go really, really nuts uh, with some of the tools for Roll20 and other, uh, other online uh, tabletop simulators in incorporating music and art and animations and custom tokens. You can commission uh, work from talented artists all over the place. But it, at some point, you have to figure out what are we gonna do for the three hours, right? So you're building the ceiling as you're doing all that research and as you're reading the book uh, and, and all of that, and you are likely gonna spend your time not building the scaffolding, which is you know the skeleton of the session uh, that you want to accomplish with your players. And, and that part can be just as overwhelming because like you said, you know, well, what are my players gonna do? What am I? If I'm creating, giving, the, giving them this world and, you know, telling them they can go anywhere. You have to be prepared to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Right. But there's, but there's tricks and tools you can use to. You're going to get the players that, that throw you for a loop and try to blow up Bespin. <laughs> now, I was hoping you might bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> going going uh, back to our, our Star Wars tabletop days. <laughs> We didn't blow up all of Bespin. It was only a small part of the underreaches of Cloud City. Uh, it was not even a city-threatening event, right? One of our players actually made us a cake to commemorate that that explosion yeah. with sparklers. She's in been it. on this show, Katie Osborne. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if she had been yet or not. She was our very first guest. Oh, nice, good get, good get, <laughs> good get. Right, exactly. <laughs> Solid. 
So you talk about the idea of like meeting around a table and and plastic bits like miniatures that you can paint and dungeon tiles that you can create. But we're not really allowed to meet in large groups anymore. And so a lot of us have had to transition to an online form of storytelling. How how was that for you? And are you committed to it? Sort of, do you wish you could go back? Do you want to move forward? Where are you with that? Oof. Uh, it's a question that I'm thinking about a lot as, you know, as more people in my social circle are becoming vaccinated. Do we go back to in-person or uh, do we stay online? And there's perks for both of it. Uh, and ideally, as I move forward in my D&D career, it's going to be a blend. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be in a, a number of games, uh, and I know that some of my uh, the Dungeon Masters that I'm a player for are dedicated to going back back to in-person D&D. I think I'm going to stay with online, and I think after sort of exploring the tools available... There, there are some things that can be replicated in the digital space that I just haven't been able to find can translate into the tabletop space. Not to mention, it's expensive. Now, you can get really expensive in any direction you choose to go, but when you're talking about uh, the, the physical table, uh, table space and you're talking about miniatures, and which frequently means you're also talking about painting miniatures... Um, or at least printing miniatures if you want to do paper tokens, printing and drawing maps and all the little uh, physical bits, uh, bits and bobs. Again, you don't have to go that high, right? Back to an earlier metaphor, when you, when you build the ceiling, right, you can build a one brick ranch and use pen and paper and, you know, some gridded paper to do maps. And that theoretically is all you might need uh, with a set of dice. Um, but... If you're anything like me, uh, that that sort of power creep sort of builds in, and suddenly you're like, oh, well, that map would save me a little time, and oh, well, that miniature looks really good. And suddenly you're not just spending, you know, money on on the products, uh, but you're losing out on money by <laughs> spending all your time painting and uh, uh, trying, to, trying to create these physical spaces uh, and store them. Good Lord. So I think for for those sort of practical nuts and bolts reasons, uh, I'm really looking forward to remaining online. It creates a, a wider pool of players. You know, I can play with friends from all across the country uh, as opposed to, you know, limiting myself to the number of players that could get here in an hour's drive for a three-hour, you know, gaming session. So you, you actually just mentioned... Um that a lot you just really you mentioned a, a, a few times just the flexibility of being able to be online and like the flexibility and the how it's a little bit cheaper to do it in a digital space and it it's really funny because it it reminds me of when everything else does this when everything else goes online you know what i mean there's always someone that's like praising its benefits but then you've got those old school guys that are like, you know, I'm never going to get an ebook. <laughs> I need to read my books in the real. And yeah, so it's, 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 I don't know, maybe it's comforting that that attitude kind of is in everything, not just like books or 
<laughs> right. Esports. Um, I, think, <laughs> I, I think I'm, you know, my life certainly influences my opinion on this. Neither of the jobs that I work regularly are virtual, right? Uh, I do the majority of uh, my work in the local school system that has a, you know, rotating hybrid model for getting students in and out of the classroom. And then I also moonlight at a, a local brewery, right? Um, so I am, I am not starved for human contact. I am starved for human contact without masks. I look forward to just being able to smile at people uh, uh, without my eyes. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know? Those good like old how, fake smiles. How, how else does the person at the gas station know I'm trying to be polite? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> These things? Yeah. Just raise your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> your eye caterpillars. Okay, so once <laughs> so once you've, once you've, all right, so you've got your source book, right? That's what we refer to uh, campaign, campaign source books or, you know, depending on the game you're playing. So after you've done that, you now need players, right? What do you, now being someone that has created a, a player for you before, there are a lot of prompts. There's like, oh, think about this aspect of your past. I mean, all of the, the games also have built in prompts to get you thinking about your past. But I think, I don't think I've ever had as like, as much fun creating a character than when I get Nick Walsh prompts like out of the blue will be like what do you think your character would think about this and then i'm just like oh that's kind of cool you know so like what what part of the process is it that gets you to kind of start thinking in those terms yeah like what's that first step the the first step uh, the first step in putting together a campaign for me goes a step before that you know before we start developing characters uh, and I, I read this recently in a post, uh, and I'm sorry because I'm about to quote a well-known gaming blog, and I can't bring it to mind. The the conversation uh, was, you know, hosting a D&D session is like hosting a dinner party, right? Uh, and, and to a certain point, that's true. The, you know, the game is the meal, and, and you get to all that. But before you even start thinking about that, you have to think about, okay, are the people that I'm playing with going to be compatible around the table? Uh, are they looking for the same thing in a game or, or looking to get the same thing out of a game? Um, and are there any sort of like personality conflicts that are going to be just antithetical to, to making the game work? Uh, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, there are all kinds of uh, player types and that's absolutely true. And you have, you know, on one end, you have sort of the the power war gamer who might be a little bit more into the nitty-gritty nitty of the rules. Uh, they're going to bring to the table, you know, a maximized, statted, it's almost always a fighter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, like, uh, they're specifically there uh, to roll the die in combat. Then on the far other end of the spectrum, and, you know, shades of gray, but you've got players who, if it were up to them, they'd never look at their character sheet. Uh, they just want to, you know, make up the narrative as it sort of, as it sort of comes to them, or according to an elaborate backstory that they've written. And even though they've emailed it to the rest of the party several times, no one has read. And so you've got. <laughs> 
and it's always it's almost always a tragic backstory with like some uh, family there, there's, trauma. there's a lot of family trauma a lot of orphans in dnd i don't think that speaks <laughs> to like a greater malaise other than it's just easier to tell stories with orphan parents ask disney they know they do i also think there's something to like the idea of D&D as therapy as well not to ever put the <laughs> onus of therapy on your dm in your D&D sessions but there is a there's a catharsis that is easier to work through in a character that you've created rather than really turning that mirror on yourself and saying wow these are all my issues that i need to look at instead you can be like no those are the character's issues but i can still work on there's them. a lot of like tropes that play into our our ideas of what characters are too right like if you're an orphan and you don't have family it's easy to just be a wanderer you know it's easy to be like that's why my character is an adventurer because he has no one tying him down anywhere right. you know what i mean so yeah yeah i think it's i think it's a little bit of both right like it's a little bit of like acting out and also just being you know kind of easy on yourself practical narrative requirements right you know uh, the, this, yeah, this person yeah, needs right. a reason to be you know delving in dungeons every uh, uh every weekend <laughs> uh, uh shane actually ran a character who uh, a couple of years ago we started a campaign and you know he said well i think i want to start a family man right and you know he he had written in a, a wife and a child into his backstory uh and we never heard from them not even once. Yeah, it's hard. We were in the jungles of Chult the whole time. You can't, you can't adventure with, with kids and a wife in tow. You can. All you have to do is play D&D. Right, right. That character turned evil and, and died anyway. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, so you, you look at the, the makeup of the people around the table not necessarily the characters they're going to develop. Is that uh, kind of a step uh, two? I think, I think once you get to step two, it's then you start thinking about, as a DM, what kind of game do I want to run? And uh, D&D has been really great uh, about this in their published material for you know every year they put out a large uh, campaign setting. A few years they actually put out uh, some like more anthology settings uh, that can be run as campaigns or can kind of be pulled apart piecemeal. But they're all very different. You know, if you... Uh, the Tomb of Annihilation, uh, which is the the campaign that uh, Shane and I are running through currently, uh, almost, uh, almost wrapped up, that is very much based on, you know, Indiana Jones and those sort of, like, serial adventure novels, you know, Jungle Survival and... You know, just just sort of plays with those kind of tropes. Not to its credit, you know. It also leans into some of the more unfortunate tropes uh, from its sort of source material. But uh, and that's and I can think of that as being like one of the major ways that you know Wizards of the Coast has sort of fallen on my face on uh, in that front uh, is uh, a lot of their portrayals of you know this tribal colonial African continent in a place where there were not European colonials to occupy and colonize such a place. So, you know, not always to its benefit. But you you have, anyway, you, you have other uh, campaigns, right? You've got 
the gothic horror campaign. You've got a globe-trotting uh, sandbox with giants or with dragons. and There's dragons in Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, frequently. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> even. Uh, but not nearly <laughs> as much as anyone thinks, <laughs> generally. No, no. I, I, I think I, I've played, you know... A few more than a few campaigns, and I think this campaign right now I'm playing is the first time I've ever actually encountered a dragon. Yeah, yeah, nice. And as a you're, you're talking about like the the sort of tone you want to set and what kind of story you want to tell, and as a player having played in your last two campaigns, they were so drastically different, not just because of their location. You know, when we played our last campaign, I felt like a hero. I felt like someone that just couldn't die. I felt like the person that was going to fix the world, I would, you know, I had a cape. It was great. And in this campaign, I'm afraid I'm going to die every day. <laughs> and it's so drastically different, but so engaging. It's still engaging. Like, we play a session and I'll go and I'll just come out to Nick and I'll start screaming and yelling and freaking out about that thing we did where we almost yeah. died. It's uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. And I think the, the, the best comparison I've been able to find towards it, uh, because I feel like DMs get a bad rap. And despite the fact that I said earlier in this very podcast uh, that I was celebrating my first TPK, uh, TPKs <laughs> are generally not the goal. Uh, generally not the goal. You have to be a pretty sadistic <laughs> DM to... It was your Christmas present. You're allowed one. I mean, we certainly we certainly aided you in that endeavor. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it that way. We weren't we weren't in our on top of our game. There there were say. some misses. There were some misses on the part of the party. Uh, I, I don't take full responsibility. And thank you, Mike, for pointing that out. Yeah. <laughs> but um I think I, I think DMs do sort of have this bad rap as, you know, these bloodthirsty uber players <laughs> who are trying to kill the other four people and that's not how what it is right it's a collaborative storytelling uh and so if part of the theme of part of the tone that i wanted to set for uh the tomb of annihilation was one of desperation uh one of uh sort of survival horror right you have to manage your inventory and there's going to be close calls and times when you don't get to go after the big shiny thing because you don't have the resources to go after it even as they're sort of approaching the end uh they're they're coming up to this this final dungeon uh that they've sort of vowed to to vanquish and like it's really hard for them to look at that thing and have any hope of coming out the other side alive and that's not because i want to kill them but you kind of have to pretend like you do yeah there's got to be stakes there's got to be it's like any movie or television show. Like, you know the main characters are going to pull through, but the story is how. Here's the thing. I don't know, like, not all of our characters have pulled through. Uh, in this campaign, we have lost two... Two original cast members, and then one other who was uh, sort of guest in. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, over the yeah. summer. Uh, Yorgle, because uh, he didn't... And we it. didn't have that last campaign. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone made it uh, all the way through. Yeah. Well, then now you're talking about the the unknown 
quantity of this, right? You're talking the about dice roll. the players and the choices they're going to make, and then also dice rolls. Yeah, like just pure chance. I do like to give Nick a lot of shit, sort of <laughs> blaming him for anything and everything that happens in every in any campaign because he's the DM. Yeah, he's a DM. But I know deep yeah. down it's not really his fault. <laughs> I might edit that out of this episode, by the way. <laughs> uh, don't want that on the record. I, I think it's a fine line, and I think there are plenty of opportunities uh, for DMs, particularly if you roll with a screen uh, or you roll in private uh, online. You know, you can fudge die rolls, and you can you can pull your punches when necessary. Not to say that I've done that, or no, let me back up. I have done that, right? <laughs> but I've done that a lot less for this campaign than in previous campaigns, right? Uh, I didn't want a kobold in Storm King's Thunder to get a lucky shot on, you know, these superhero characters that are out to save, you know, the all the kingdoms of Faerun. Uh, what, for Tomb of Annihilation, I might let that happen. <laughs> I, I might let a lucky shot go in. But at the same time, I don't want them to lose, right? I, I want the story to advance. Uh, I want the sort of closure and catharsis uh, that this kind of story can accomplish. And in a way that just simply no other art form can replicate. It's one of those things where, you know, as a DM, right? Uh, even, even in uh, talking about coming out of this podcast, it's like, well, I don't know, like, does that make me an artist because I'm, I'm a DM? Uh, and, you know, I'm pulling from so many sources uh, that other more talented creators are putting together. Uh, and sure, I create, you know, art products for the, for the games that we play, uh, but that doesn't necessarily make me feel like an artist. But when I think about what a art product does from uh, particularly narrative uh, projects, right? Uh, novels or film or plays, even uh, even the right songs, you know, you're supposed to have a moment of catharsis as a result, right? And, you know, if there's a ratio of amount of time put in to amount of catharsis had by an audience, like, it, it gets really weird when you look at D&D because you have, you know, take take a movie, Name any movie, right? Field of Dreams. Perfect. Perfect Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Millions of people have seen this movie, right? And they watch it for, and for an hour and a half, two hours, however long Field of Dreams is. I've actually never seen it. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm embarrassed. It had to be like the one movie you've seen and I haven't. It's three hours when they put it on TV with commercials. and. Right, right. Every movie on USA is three hours. But yeah, like so many people have... You know, this tiny little catharsis from an afternoon watching, you know, this movie with their dad. And that's great. With D&D, you're telling nine books worth of Game of Thrones. And that's being shared by, like, six people. Like, only six, seven people on the outside are going to be affected by the narrative that's being told. But it's going to be huge. Like, it, it's, it's going to be so much bigger because they had, because their thumbprints are all over it, you know? When, when they look back on it, uh, they're not saying, 
Oh man, remember when Nick did this? Oh, remember when Nick did this? Remember when Nick? They're saying, hey, remember when you did that? Remember when I did this? Uh, it's it's not characters on a screen or on a page. It's characters that they are embodying, and so it's just this perfect combination of, you know, classic narrative story structure. Because ideally, when you create characters, everyone's going to have an arc. The story itself is going to have an arc on top of that. You get the performance from uh, from an acting perspective from a lot of the characters as well. Like they get to grow and find their voice and find the mannerisms that sort of solidify the idea of that character in someone's head uh, for better or worse, you know, they're, and, and then you also get to be the audience and you get to be the sole audience for that. Unless you're, you know, have millions of followers on your D and D podcast, but yeah, it, one day, one day, one day, I'm telling, I'm telling you, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to work it out. And our second podcast is going to be, running a game dm'd by you it's oh, gonna my. happen it kind of has to happen yeah like i see other dms and i'm like i would actually like to talk to you about other dms i i don't want to throw anyone under the bus or anything but I, I would be interested in what you have learned from watching other dms sort of what not to do we've heard a lot of what you Ooh, do um, so what are those big traps that you try to avoid i think the the biggest trap that i've seen uh and i'm not saying every dm that i've seen do it falls into this trap but i I think the the biggest one is sort of assuming the players are as invested in the story that's being told as you are when they don't have the context of the story you know you have to hook players in on their own merit uh, and bring something, you know, help them develop their character. Like, Mike, as you said, you know, when when we were planning uh, characters for, um, say, our very first campaign for Edge of the Empire, right? Like, you had a very rich backstory. You were, you basically made Finn before Finn, like, came along <laughs> in the Force Awakens. I didn't even realize that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That feeds that feeds into a whole other time time travel theory that I have, but we won't get into that conspiracy. We don't have to now, but I desperately want to get into that conspiracy <laughs> theory. But uh, it, it meant that you had a character that, because you had put some thought into it, and it also came from you, right? You know, you're you're answering questions, right? You weren't being told mm-hmm. what to do, but these ideas came from you. And then once you got them on the page, suddenly what happened to that character felt more real. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's why, you know, pre-constructed characters can be such a bummer. I- I'm not saying you can't have fun in a, you know, one-shot session with some, you know, goofy pre-generated characters. I've done that. But the best results of D&D are those where the players are as invested in the story as you are. So they have to be right there when the story begins you can't hope that the narrative that you have in your mind is going to hook them midway in because they don't know where it's going. And would you mind speaking to that pre-gen character idea? Because I, I know you've done something like that where you've created a, a story and it was uh, Dungeons and Drafts, I believe it was called. I've, I've used pre-gen characters for a lot of projects. I'm really glad you brought up Dungeons and Drafts, though, because that is 
that is so different from the kind of DMing that I I like to do for my personal game. Uh, but I also think it's really important and really, really fun. We uh, So the Wednesday before the bar that I worked at shut down for COVID, uh, I held an event there called Dungeon Drafts, and we brought out a couple of volunteer DMs to allow people to come together, sit around the table, and learn the concepts of D&D, right? For that session, I threw a lot of what, you know, a lot of what my general DM advice would be, uh, advice would be out the window. Uh, we did pre-generated characters so no one was invested in the story. You know, I, uh, I developed a lot of the encounters on my own. I didn't, uh, I pulled one puzzle out of uh, an old issue of Dungeon Magazine, but other than that, a lot of the stuff that I prepared for that was written, and it's because it was so, such like a, a laser focus of an event, right? We had two hours to get through, you know, whatever D&D we were going to do, uh, and it had to be beginner-friendly. Um, and uh, since that one event, uh, I did one event uh, at a local brewery, uh, and now three breweries are waiting for COVID numbers to drop so they can begin uh, hosting those uh, events themselves. And I'm thrilled for uh, for that opportunity to start picking up. Yeah, that's awesome. It's cool because like there are so many things that, which is really the crux of this episode that I, I think we sh- this is the perfect time to hit. There are so many creative things that we all do in our lives with absolutely no expectation that it's ever going to be like fruitful, right? Like, I mean, I've spent most of my time on stages not being paid to be on the stage, you know, or I've done a, I mean, I've done a lot of drawings for my friends. You both can attest, you know, I'd never intended to get paid for or, you know, just because it's, hey, I'm in this campaign with my friends and I want them to have this cool thing that I feel like I can contribute to our adventure, which is these like highly customized character drawings of our, you know, of our player characters. I have a lot of cool pictures of myself because of you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, And I, and I really just want to express the importance of doing something just because it makes you happy doing something just because it's something you enjoy doing. And yeah, if you can manage to make money doing it, like I have with, you know, some of my skills, great. But if you if you don't, and maybe not even for like lack of trying or because it just never occurred to you, that's cool too, you know? And then sometimes, hey, maybe you walk into a situation where some bar is going to pay you a hundred bucks to come host this D&D night, you know? And, and again, like you did it for free. I mean, you were on the clock, but you you compiled all the information and, and par- parted all your knowledge about this cool thing you like to do. Yeah. And it's, that's really cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, like you said, without the expectation to be fruitful, you know, thinking financially fruitful, right? I don't think I'm ever going to be able to just, just make my living writing D&D products. And I know some people do it. uh, And I'm not saying like, I don't think I could ever make that possibility happen for myself. But what I do think is that once I do that, uh, once I get to that level, like, I've got to still be able to do it for me and for my playgroup. 
because what keeps bringing me back is that magic that happens around the table or around the screen as you know we've sort of explored over the last year and while i could think about hosting events and maybe getting paid for that or publishing uh, there's all kinds of opportunities uh to publish material for D on patreon uh through the dms guild I'm working on a project right now. Right? <laughs> and, and and I love those kind of projects. And, um, and you know, there there is opportunity uh, to make money there. But it, it's so much more difficult, you know, sort of put your mind behind the, uh, the artistic grindstone when you don't have, you know, six of your friends' reactions driving that. Because uh, that's that's why I continue to, to come back to the table. Uh, it's to watch my friends go, what? It's, it's great. It's great. It's nothing like it. I mean, if you ever wanted to develop anything professionally and you needed playtesters, uh, you have my phone number, my email, <laughs> all of my private inbox access. I mean, you, you know where to find me. Also, you know, I'm an artist. How many campaigns are you willing to be a part of? Um I've only got the one right now. I mean, I'm available. We're going to talk, buddy. (laughs) This got very, very sexual. (laughs) I think I'm okay with it. Nick's going to start sliding into Mike's DMs. It's been a long pandemic, okay? (laughs) It's been a long pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you know what? I, I didn't want you to throw anyone in the bag. I don't want you to call anybody out. But boy, do I want to hear some horror stories. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, some D&D horror stories. I can think of I can think of one that comes to mind and and this one was sort of a horror story for for a couple of reasons, right? Player in a game that uh I was running uh running as DM regularly. Uh we had like a last minute cancellation and so this player asked like, "Hey, uh I've wanted to uh run this rule system for a while." Uh, we can do it as a run one shot, and and uh, and yeah, we can just we can just sort of fill that session since so and so and so and so can't be there. And I said fine, yeah, great. We can we can give up uh, game night uh, for this uh, for the system. It was it was based off of an old D and D system. Uh, it was based off a of third edition. It's called D twenty Modern. Uh, and uh, uh, this player uh, ran a session, and I'll have I'll admit. First and foremost, that after running a game for for so long, and sort of like there is maybe a element of leadership or whatever you a stewardship, uh, if you would, uh, as being a DM, uh, and seeing someone else in that space, sure, it might have been a pride thing. <laughs> um, but that pesky pride. I I did not feel like the. Uh, the rules were sort of utilized in a fun way. I felt like there were uh, player conflicts around the table uh, that were just sort of allowed to fester, you know, uh, instead of trying to push through and find even ground and move the narrative forward. Uh, it was just a lot of grinding and grinding and people just being mad at each other. And the, the, the cardinal sin right there at the end for me was when uh, this person who, you know, I had taken some time to put together this gaming group. I allowed him to run a one-shot, 
Uh, but then he goes, oh, and if anyone wants to run this again, we can. And it's like, look, man, getting five people around this table is a lot of hard work. And I've put in that work. You don't get to hijack it. You don't get to <laughs> poach my game for for your poorly run system. Got him. When I think of the like the biggest horror story, uh, you know that that's sort of it. Most horror stories don't have that meta element of you know trying to be poached, uh, and most of them can be <laughs> solved. You know, I think. What do you do when they can't be solved? When they can't be solved, if if someone. Every time they come to the table, if they're having a poor time, or if everyone else as a result of that person is having a poor time, and you know, I am all for trying to talk things out. But if numerous conversations haven't worked, then it's time to sit down and say, hey, I don't think this campaign is for you. And I've had to do that a couple of times. Wow, fired from a campaign. It's hard, but every nice. time I've had every time it's happened. I have felt like shit for a day and then everyone else has felt better afterwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it just, and that's, and that's part of like lining things up before the campaign even starts. Uh, I didn't even, I don't know if I even mentioned the concept of a zero session, but getting everyone together around the table and talking about what their expectations are from the game. Well, that's your that's your planning document, you know? That's your constitution. And if someone can't abide by that, by, you know, say, always graining against the tone. Say for Tomb of Annihilation, it said, okay, this is going to be a gritty survival horror tone. There's always elements of Monty Python and the Holy Grail in every D&D campaign. But for the most part, you know, try to keep a straight face. If someone is constantly graining against that, and, you know, wants to come up and come up with some sort of, you know, caricature. I want to, I want to, I want to cast thaumaturgy and uh, make a really loud fart sound, like stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. If you, <laughs> hold if you hold on. Where's my pen? I got to write that down. <laughs> don't you dare. Uh, my example there was going to be, if you decide to like play a golden retriever during this campaign, maybe that's going to be thematically off but somehow some people can make it work i feel called out yeah that sounds like a call out for something shane to do so a while back there was a kickstarter called dungeons and doggies uh steamforged games yeah dungeons and doggos maybe either way it was a it was a bunch of miniatures that were different dog breeds and uh different class affiliations and of course i bought it because why wouldn't i and Nick was, Nick and I went back and forth on this for a very long time because we did want to strike the right tone. You know, I wanted to bring a character to the table that would be fun and interesting for me to play and a character that wouldn't disrupt what we were trying to do. Right. And... I believe a, a big part of the hesitancy on uh, bringing that character who would later be known as Elagorn into the campaign was, uh, I think it had to do for me with a, a zero session conversation we had. One of the players at the time when we were planning oh, yeah. that campaign, like put a hard veto against playing with a dog. They just, they just thought it was too silly. And, you know, if, if that is a, is a line for them and we haven't started the game yet, 
I'm, you know, I, I wanted to honor that uh, uh, that player's feelings. Later on, that player wasn't there, and then it w was like, okay, well, how do we make this work? You know, how how can how can that be fun? And I think I think Elegorn's at a great place. That's so funny. Uh, I want to play, but I will play with. I will absolutely not play with dogs. No. no yeah, it's like I want to live in this magical uh, world, but talking wizard dogs are the hard stop for me. <laughs> so okay, so I have I have one more question, and it's a little bit of a deep cut, and maybe we want to take a second to explain what this means. But I'm really curious, and I've never asked you this question before, in like a serious way. Okay, so for our listeners that don't know much about this type of gaming, Dungeons & Dragons is designed primarily as a player versus environment game. Basically what that means is you are a group of players that work together to beat the game. However, video game players will be more familiar with this. There is a player versus player mechanism that doesn't really exist in D&D and because of that if you play just strict D&D rules in a PvP situation it can break the game. So my question to Nick is to PvP or not PvP? And if so, how do you try to fix it? So, uh I realize that I am I might come off as a little bit of hypocritical to certain members of certain campaigns <laughs> should they listen to this. Uh, here's where I stand on PvP. Uh, it's another session zero conversation, right? Are we going to allow characters to use their stats on paper to interfere with the actions of other players? Broadly, that's PvP. Like, you know, when I'm thinking of, you know, the early Diablo rooms where was the first time I remember seeing PvP in gaming, uh, you know, it was strictly combat. You know, you dropped into a room, your opponent dropped into the room, there was fights. Uh, but PvP in D&D might be a little bit more broad than that. It might be pickpocketing something out of one of your fellow party members' uh, bags. And, oh... A rule that I learned from uh, another D and D, uh, another DM. Um, he was running a different system, but he's a, a good friend of mine, uh, Josh McCrowell. He's a he's a great game designer, actually, and um, uh, he's published a, a couple of RPGs himself. Uh, he'd be great to have on your show, actually. He uh, his hard and fast rule for for PvP was if you do something against another player, it, it's a yes or no question from them. You know, I don't care how high your sleight of hand is uh, when you go pickpocket him. When you say, I want to pickpocket this other person, that person has the agency to say yes or no. What that does, it accomplishes a couple things, right? It does create opportunities for players to work uh, at crossroads, but it prevents anyone from taking action that would be that would take agency away from someone else so when you know say the rogue wants to steal something from the paladin that they're going in to turn into a local magistrate the paladin's character right is certainly not going to let that happen but the player 
who's playing the paladin might think, okay, if the rogue takes this off of me and then I go to turn it into the magistrate, you know, that's frustrating for my character, but it's a good enough story beat that I think I would allow it to happen, right? That actually did happen for us, I believe, where um, I don't remember their character name, so I'm going to use their real names, where Pat attempted to pickpocket Casto, and you were like, you know, no PvP, but Casto was like, actually, no, that's okay. I, 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 I sort of recognized this moment for what it is, and the dice rolled sort of worked in that favor, and he wanted to play that moment. And I think, uh, I think that actually uh, predates my uh, permission rule, right? Uh, in that case, it, it did work out. Like, he made the, he made the rule to pickpocket. Uh, the paladin got the a high enough roll to see that it was being pickpocketed, and he let it happen anyway for narrative purposes. Uh, for those interested, it was real exciting. There was a blue dragon, and a cave was coming down, and he thought he was going to have to sacrifice himself, so he's giving him the priceless artifact. Oh, it was great. It, it was so much fun. Uh, a real, real big moment. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, I like the permission there was another element of it. The only time I've ever really uh, worked uh, PvP uh, in a large way in the campaign uh, was in in this campaign with Shane, actually. His character... It, it was a very fine line. It, it was a fine line. It was a fine line. And I, I still don't know if I can uh, sit here and defend the line that I wove, but this is what I heard as a DM, right? Uh, that Shane wasn't enjoying the current arc of his character uh and he had the idea of uh his character was a gnome a scholarly gnome cleric mm -hmm. and you know he was an explorer and he was always like looking in uh at new cultures and things like that but that had gotten kind of stale and he was sort of wanted to take him into a mad scientist arc and i was looking at some of the uh things that i had planned out for the campaign I saw an opportunity for that, and out of game, I was like, okay, this is sort of what I have in mind. Would you be interested in crossing the line from, you know, D&D &D player to D&D &D villain over the course of this arc? And when it happened, right, there was a moment of... Let me, let me back up. Immediately before he crossed the Rubicon, there was a trial, right? Uh, he, was, he was basically being court-martialed uh, by the crew's captain, by the party's captain, on a ship. And everyone was coming up to either defend or prosecute him in that moment. And the no-PVP was, rule was hanging over that table. And one by one, you watched their eyes as they're like, are we about to PvP, in air quotes, this player by prosecuting him? Like, do we have to defend him in this moment? And the first player defended him. The second player defended him, but maybe not as vigorously. The third player kind of threw him under the bus. And then the last player kind of got a sense of what was going on and just kicked 
kicked him all the way in. <laughs> now, did he know that Shane's character was then going to turn into a hideous monstrosity and try to kill them all? Not in that moment. But it was one of those things where it felt like the PvP there was earned. And even though in, like, you know, flashing sort of marquee bulb letters, no PvP had sort of anchored itself above that campaign, it got there. And it only got there from, with, like, rigorous out-of-game communication uh, between myself and the other players, my, myself and the character uh, that would eventually betray them, sort of gauging where everyone was uh, and making sure it was a... It was a story that was still worth being told uh and people were still interested in being a part of uh and i don't think i don't think we ever cross that line in a bad way okay in service of the in service of the story only he's pro pvp only in service of the story <laughs> and with great and with consent great consent yes consent is sexy consent is very sexy and it was still super collaborative between you and I, like DM and character, but also there was that nice catharsis of everyone sort of like, wait, did this character just turn evil? And then they got to kill me. Yes, which if I'm remembering correctly, was less fun for you. And it was. It was awful because I was like, no, this could be so much fun, so much fun, so much fun. But what I realized after weeks of conversation after the fact was that you trusted me to take on a little bit of the DM role with you, uh, role R-O-L-E, and as a DM, your job is to create things that your characters can defeat. And in that moment, I had to be something that they could defeat, and I didn't realize it in the moment. I was kind of upset because of how it all went down, and then in hindsight, I was like, no, that was exactly what needed to happen. That would have been the first player TPK. I, I guess that was the other option. Uh, and boy, <laughs> man, would my ha my face have been red had that happened. Uh, luckily, it wasn't even close. Like, I don't think anyone even went down that fight. Um, and I was really worried. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end. Yeah, this is... This has been a solid episode. It has been. This is really fun. And I hope our listeners had had fun. Enjoy the hell out of this, man. Uh, this yeah. Is, uh, this is what I do. And, uh, and I love to contribute. And stay tuned for Active Listeners Dungeons & Dragons edition. When we bring on maybe, maybe we'll, you know what, maybe we'll do it with past guests. And it'll be like a, like a limited series. Ooh, we or have Nick come on and DM a couple of our past guests. Yeah. Bring back Katie. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. We, we really like Katie on the show. We're probably going to have her back sooner rather than later. <laughs> it's true. I would. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I think that wraps it up. You know, we usually at the end of the interview ask our guests to do something silly or something fun, but I feel like we've been doing that throughout this entire episode, you know? So we're not going to put you on the spot. I don't think we're going to make you read or perform if you know. If you want to dance, maybe we'll take a couple pictures, post it on on the Twitters. <laughs> I tell you what, if if this uh, if this episode uh, gets your listeners uh, hungry to see some uh, to see or hear uh, some live play, I'm your guy. We'll 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 get something. Going. You heard it here, awesome. and you heard it first. You heard it. If 
this is something that you want us to explore on the Active Listener channel, let us know. Yeah, head to our Twitter at ActListPod, or you can head over to our Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ActiveListenersPod, and tell us what you think. Join in on the conversation. Peace. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating. And if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron. Our theme music, It's a Trap, was created by Remodel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>